Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I had a stalker from Xbox Live try to find me at work two days ago on Monday. I'm only 17 and work second shift at my local movie theater. It was Friday night, my weekend had just begun. I was on Xbox Live playing Overwatch, eating now cold pizza like lots of my friends were. I was kicking considerable butt more than I usually was in this game, and I was on fire. For non-Overwatch players it basically means you're doing really good, for three matches. At around 2am I decided to step up my game and go into competitive mode. I got into a match at King's Row and I was playing Pharah on defense. I got a 15 player kill streak, but I noticed 5 of those kills were on the same guy, a bastion. I remember his username. The match goes on for about another minute and then I get an invite to a party. The gamer tag was the same as bastion that I had just killed for the 6th time. I wasn't in a party since all of my friends had called it a night except for me at that point. I decided that whatever he wanted to say could be interesting, so I added him. Now, I usually expect some kids a few years younger than me to be crap-talking me, but to my surprise, it was a grown man on the other end. More to my surprise, he sounded like he was in his 30s rather than closer to my age, and he had a thick Spanish accent. Immediately, this guy starts cussing me out. I can't lie when I say I half expected this to happen when I got a party invite. Now, I have the mentality where if you're a jerk to me, I'll return the favor. I replied with the classic, Oh, you mad bro? Guy doesn't acknowledge what I say. Instead of saying things that he would do to my mom like most people do, this guy said, Death to you and your entire family. I will make sure to decapitate you and your mother and make your dad watch. I was sort of shocked by this, but it didn't last. Bro, take a chill pill. No, I want you to... He stopped. I noticed why. A diva on our team had just killed his bastion hero again. Now this is where things get scary. It sounded as if though he turned into a rapid animal that was trying to suffocate itself on Mike and screaming and howling and spitting all at the same time. It's difficult to describe exactly what sound he was making, but that's the closest I can do. Inhumane noises were coming from this person, as if though he was being gutted and possessed by a demon at the same time. It was a grown man too, which made the entire thing scary compared to laughing my butt off when a 12 year old loses it. The match ended. The enemy team didn't even get the payload moving. The man loses his crap some more because he lost. Then I decided to be an a-hole again and not take this clearly crazy guy's crap. Look, it's not my fault you suck at this game. You're just being treated like the child you really are. Grow up, man. This guy didn't like this. He just hollered F you into the mic for, no joke, 20 seconds. It started getting all crackly because he was so loud he was breaking his mic. He then removed me from the party. 
I had decided that since the match was over, I decided to call it a night, just like my friends had. My overall reaction to what went down was, okay, that was something. I logged out, turned off my Xbox, and went to bed. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I realized how much of an idiot I was for not recording any of it. My friends would have lost it when they heard it. Then I fell asleep. Saturday went by with nothing, and I thought that was that with the angry guy. Sunday was after Saturday, and I logged onto my Xbox that morning to play more Overwatch. I noticed I had a message from the guy saying, Good morning, with my full name. I know you have to go to and he addressed the movie theater that I worked at, tomorrow. Uh, what? I said aloud. I decided to pull out my phone and take a picture of the TV screen. I then texted my boss about it, and told her that some guy on Xbox somehow found out where I worked. Now, my boss is a terrible old lady, so she naturally didn't care what happened on Xbox. Even though it concerned my work, she just blew it off and told me I still had to come in the next day. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and The Incredibles 2 are both hot right now, so we were going to be busy. I ended up coming in the next day at 5.30. It was pretty boring and busy like I predicted up until about 8, when a super short guy came in through the door. It was loud and pretty crowded, but the guy hollers my full name. Same thick Spanish accent from Xbox. Oh god, it was him. I still to this day don't know where he got my info from or why he decided to come all the way to where I worked. The theater fell silent. I just walked to the back room where my boss was and told her that the guy from Xbox was inside. She repeated the whole, I don't care what happens on Xbox, get back to work, we're busy, rant that she texted me. I repeated to her that the guy was inside the building. I didn't know if he wanted to hurt me or not and that I was going to call the cops. I ended up actually calling the cops. It wasn't until they arrived and spoke to me privately in the back room that my boss ended up taking me seriously. The Spanish guy was still inside the lobby, and the cops put him in cuffs and walked him out. This was according to my boss. I was in the back room, so I couldn't witness it. I still haven't heard anything from the cops, and I still don't know how he found my info or why he came all the way to where I worked, and I still don't know what he planned to do to me. Either way, I'm still a bit shaken up over it. I don't know if he knows my home address or not either and I'm pretty much on guard 24-7. Either way, I own two dogs that can scare off anyone, but I'm still pretty terrified of this guy. I contacted my police department and heard they had taken the guy on Monday, so I have the satisfaction of knowing he didn't get away. They're still being stingy on the information and won't even tell me his name because of all of the security garbage. I'm waiting for a full police report on this. They promised that they would give me one soon, they said. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm just going to try and not focus on the guy for now. When I was in junior high and high school, I was best friends with this guy named Mark. I'm female for context. We did everything together. He was my best friend after all. Mark had kind of a troubled life. Nothing too crazy, just kind of troubled. After high school, my mom ended up dating this really abusive guy that ended up causing me so much anxiety that I got physically ill and bedridden for almost a year. I had kind of kept in touch with Mark during this time, though I had lost many of my friends due to being sick. 
In the meantime, I was bedridden. Mark had met a girl and fell in love. Blah, blah. Normal stuff. One night, I get a phone call from him, and he's drunk out of his mind. Tells me his girlfriend broke up with him and that he's going to end his life. He tells me he's laying in the middle of the road, in the country, with a gun to his head and that he's going to pull the trigger. I was scared and begged for him to go inside and calm down. For those who are wondering, I did indeed call the cops, but had no idea where he was to tell him his location. So I called a hotline and had them phone him. Honestly, I can't remember the rest of the night, but I know I talked to him a few more times and fortunately, he didn't end himself. Fast forward a few years, Mark has his life together, so it seems. He lives with his new girlfriend and they have a son together. I am now better, so we make plans and I meet his kid and his girlfriend. All is grand, so I thought. One night, he calls me drunk and said that he's been living in his truck at his shop because he and his girlfriend have broken up and she's kicked him out. This made me feel bad. I was living on my own at the time, so I offered him my couch for a few days until things settled down with his girlfriend. Honestly, before this incident, I never, ever thought he'd be a danger to me. I grew up with him and knew him for years. So he's staying at my house, and one day I was super hungover. I just wanted to be by myself and not talk to anyone. He knocks on my bedroom door. I tell him to come in. He instantly starts accusing me of being depressed, saying that I need to talk to someone. I politely told him I'm not depressed and I don't need to talk and that even if I did, now isn't a good time as I was hungover. It escalated so quickly. He had me in a bear hug so tight I couldn't escape. I was begging for him to let me go and he just wouldn't. Eventually, I peel out of his grip, pushed him out of my bedroom door, and lock myself in. He proceeds to pick the lock on my bedroom door, enters, and again forcefully grabbing me so hard it hurt. I again escaped and ran out of my apartment, realizing I had forgot my keys, so I run back in, and he cornered me and would not let me go until I told him what was wrong. At this point, I am shaking and bawling my eyes out, begging him to let me go. I don't know how I got out of it, but... I did. I grabbed my keys, ran out of my apartment with no shoes on, and drove to my friend's place. I sent him a text and told him to get out of my apartment or I'm calling the police. I told him to leave the spare key behind. My friend's boyfriend escorted me home and checked my apartment to make sure he wasn't there and he did leave the key. I had marks all over my body from fighting him off. I gave it enough time for myself and for him to calm down and I called him to explain what he did was wrong and why. He thinks he did the right thing. I've got him blocked on everything and haven't talked to him since. So my name is Chris and I'm 17. I recently went on a trip with my family to Panama City in Florida. It's a different place, but let's say Panama's for safety. I stayed at a hotel on the beach, but I sadly forgot the name of the place. But the whole building was painted with ocean animals and stuff like that, and there was a bar at the top floor and bottom floor as well. There was a club down there on the ground level too that was open till about 1am. On the end of my second day there, I tried to sneak into the club and watch live music that they played, but you have to be 21 to go in, and sadly I was only 17. They asked for my ID every time I tried to get in. I ended up just giving up and started to leave to go to my room with my family on the third floor. We were in room 315. 
As I was getting in the elevator to go to the third floor, there was a guy already in there. I didn't say anything to him at first, but he started talking to me. He told me I was very tall and asked me how old I was. I told him 6'3 and said I was 17. I'm an honest guy and don't like to lie to random people for no reason, so I just went along with the stuff that he said. He asked me what my name was and I said Chris. And then he looked at me for a moment and smiled and said that his name was Chris too. He seemed like a nice guy and all. He then proceeded to ask if I wanted to go to his room and get a beer. I happily agreed because I was wanting to feel something that night and let loose. He said his room was on the third floor, so we rode up the third floor on the elevator and walked to his room. We walked right by his room and went past three more doors until we ended up at his and went in. It was like 11 at night and my mom didn't really care what I was doing since I'm almost 18, but anyways, once I got in, he proceeded to give me a beer. We chatted for a bit and then he gave me more alcohol. He gave me stuff like vodka and tequila. I was starting to feel pretty good and relax a lot more. He told me he worked at the hotel and it was his first day. He begged me not to tell anyone that he gave me liquor because he didn't want to get fired. What he proceeded to tell me next was insane and mental. He said he ran drugs up and down Florida all the time and that he had $6 billion sitting in a storage unit somewhere. I didn't believe him for a second, but I listened politely and nodded to show that I was listening to what he said. He told me he just got out of a mental institution and was prescribed multiple medications. I didn't believe him, but he showed me his paperwork and I saw at least 10 different medications all prescribed to a man under the name of Christopher so I believed his name was actually Chris and that he just left an institution. He then told me that he didn't even need those meds, and it was obvious, though, that he did. Now, I was kind of drunk, and my memory does kind of become a little blurry, but the next thing I remember was him telling me that on June 15th, the conjuring would begin, and people would make a choice to go up or go down or stay with him. I have no idea what he was talking about, but still I continued to listen to what he had to say. It was Tuesday and June 15 was that upcoming Friday. That was also the day that I left and went home from vacation. But anyways, Chris continued to tell me that the earth was really called Ra and the sun was called Ja, or they were switched, I can't remember, but I think that's how it's spelt. I think I've heard something like that before, but I couldn't tell you when. He told me he was God and he quoted multiple Bible verses and then compared those verses to something in reality. At this point, I was kind of getting creeped out and knew I needed to get out of there sooner or later, but still, I stayed. We were on the balcony of his room of the hotel and he pointed to a tree and said he loved that tree and he would kill me before and killing a tree or a plant because that tree was God and that he also said he was Satan which was completely opposite when he said he was God earlier, but I didn't say anything. He told me the end was near and pointed to the sky and said, Where did the stars go, man? And I looked and could clearly see multiple stars and pointed one out to him, and he said that was the mothership and it was watching us, and soon it would come and take us all. While he was spouting out more nonsense, I looked around his room and saw books. All of them had the all-seeing eye on it, you know, the symbol with the triangle with the eye in it. People seem to think it has to do with the Illuminati, but that doesn't matter. He had a tattoo with the same symbol on his upper arm as well. At this point, 
I needed to get out of there, so I looked at the door and saw that it was locked and started to panic but managed to keep it inside me. I told him that my mom was looking for me and that I needed to leave. He was okay with it and we both walked out of his door and into the hallways with the door to the other rooms. He told me he was very thankful for listening to what he had to say and that I was the first person to hear him out all the way. He asked me when I was leaving and I told him the truth and said Friday. He responded with, Oh, that's the day I start conjuring people. He told me he was super tired of being the chosen one and he needed someone to take his place and told me that I might be it. As I was about to leave, we proceeded to shake hands with our left hands. I'm a righty, but he insisted on using our left hands because he was a lefty, and he needed rubber bands on his left hand to remind him. I looked, and sure enough, he had three rubber bands on his left hand. He looked past me at the sky and pointed to the same star that was the mothership, and told me that it was too late and it was coming soon. He looked terrified and asked me where my room was at. I said the first floor, which was a lie. I couldn't tell him that my room was actually ten feet down the hall. He told me to run, so I did, down the stairs to the first floor, but before I went down the stairs, I turned around and got one last look at him. He was still staring at that star. I went to the first floor and went out to the beach and sat for about thirty minutes before deciding to go back to the third floor to my room. When I got to my floor, he was gone, thankfully. I figured he was back in his room so I full on sprinted to my room and quickly put that key card through the doorknob and went in. I was so relieved I made it back. My family was asleep so I went to my balcony and sat and stared at the stars thinking about what I had just witnessed. I never told anyone but my friends and they all just laughed about it but I will probably never forget him. When I first met the Bagman, I was 16. I didn't even think he was anything to worry about at the time. He just passed me by while I was biking around in one of my city's forest reserves called Riverside. Riverside was always a place I could go when I was feeling stressed or anxious, so when I passed by this rugged looking guy in the middle of the woods, I didn't think much of it. I had other things in my mind, and for all I know, I could have looked pretty rugged myself, being all sweaty and wearing a black hoodie and biking around like a maniac. He and I were similarly dressed. I didn't have long to look at him, as I was passing by on my bike pretty quickly, but, but he was wearing black sweatpants that were ripped in several places, along with muddy white shoes and a black hoodie which he wore with the hood down. I could also make out that he was a pretty big guy in all areas. He was fairly wide and was actually pretty tall. His hair was brown and down to his shoulders. I couldn't really make out his face at the time, but little did I know I would see it in a few weeks. When he saw me coming towards him on my bike, he held up his hand all excitedly and waved at me, and then began to jog while I got closer. I thought at the time that maybe he was out here exercising like me, and seeing me made him remember to start running again or something. But as I passed him, he got so close to my bike that he almost bumped into me. I had to swerve a little to the right to try to avoid him, barely missing him. When I passed him, I kind of heard him shout something back at me, but I couldn't really understand what it was because I had my headphones in. I shrugged the situation off as I continued to bike back to my car. It took me a few minutes to get back to the parking lot and I was pretty exhausted as I loaded my bike into the back of my minivan. 
Once I closed the trunk, I looked around for a moment to see if the guy I had seen earlier was around. I didn't see him, but the only other car that was parked there was directly across from me on the other side of the lot. It was a long white van, like the stereotypical pedophile van. It was dirty and muddy like the man driving it and the windows were tinted so you couldn't really see inside. Thinking back on this situation now, it could have been totally possible that the bag man followed me all the way back to the parking lot and had gotten into his creepy van before I could see him and was there while I was staring at that vehicle. He could have been watching me through those dark windows and I didn't even know. When I pulled out of the parking lot, I made sure that the van stayed in its place as I passed by and drove home. That was my first encounter with the bagman, but obviously that meeting isn't what gave him his name. A little over three weeks later after my experience at Riverside, I was home alone and it was approximately 4pm. I was watching YouTube on my phone while lying in bed upstairs in my room. My dog was next to me and we were both just chilling until my dad came home from work. While I was up to go to the bathroom, I heard the doorbell ring and then two loud bangs on the door. Now, usually when someone pounded on the door like that, it was almost always my mom because she, for some reason, liked to freak out the dog when she gets home and a few loud bangs on the door would do the job. So my dog went running out of the room and tore down the steps to get to the front door. I followed behind him, but I didn't really feel like running. When I finally got to the door, I swung it open, expecting to see my mom. It wasn't her. It was the guy from Riverside. He was just standing there with a big black garbage bag in his hand. He was wearing almost the same outfit that he was wearing when I saw him last, except his shoes were all clean now. I looked up at his face and saw he had a poorly trimmed beard that covered most of his face. His eyes were a bright blue and they stared down at me. He spoke before I had a chance to say anything. Now, this will be a rough paraphrase of what he said as I don't remember exactly. Hi there, uh, young man. Is Melanie around? I'd love to see her. Uh, no, I don't know who that is, sorry. I actually knew who he was asking for because she lived a few houses down. I think at that point I had given him a kind of smile to try to act like I wasn't completely freaked out. You see, I always park my minivan right up in front of my house, so it's always in view whenever I'm home. This means that he probably recognized it, and me. As if on cue, he said, I think I know you from somewhere, pal. His voice was deep and haunting and just kind of left me stunned. I stood there and didn't say anything and shrugged my shoulders. That's when he started to shake that bag. I don't really know how else to describe what he was doing. He was just shaking the bag up and down. I never actually saw what was inside of it, but it sounded like a whole bunch of metal cookie cutters rattling around. The contents were poking and stretching the bag out in weird angles. He was still staring at me as he shook the bag an inch closer to me. Are you sure you don't know where Melanie is? He continued to shake the bag as he got closer and closer until we were nearly touching. My breath was shaky and I was looking down at the ground like a dog that had just gotten in trouble for peeing on the couch. Then I snapped and pushed him away from me as hard as I could. His skin was flabby and soft and his shirt felt greasy. I used all my strength to get him away from me. I didn't look back as I did a 180 and sped back into my house, slamming the door once it got back inside. I could hear him pound his heavy arms against the door and the clamoring of whatever was in the bag. 
He banged on the door for maybe 30 seconds before he stopped abruptly. I quickly sped towards the window to see if he was still standing there, and as I moved to the side to get a better angle of the doorway, I saw him looking back at me. When we met eyes, he immediately started running back to his van which was parked across the street. I recognized it as the same one from Riverside. I was disappointed to see that there weren't any front license plate numbers, but as the van started to move and pass my house, I took down the numbers and letters that were on the back of the van. I still have them written down in my phone. Since that incident, I haven't seen the man since, and I notified Melanie that some man was asking around for her. She said that she had no idea who he might be, and that she would tell her parents to look out for anyone that looked like who I had seen just in case he managed to find her or her house, but it doesn't end there. About a year later, my mom and I were having lunch and she was scrolling through Facebook when she came upon a post from a woman who lived in the neighborhood next to ours. The woman wrote that a man driving a white van drove up to her house and knocked on the door, which her young daughter answered. The man had apparently asked her to get in his van because he had the circus in there. Apparently the mom came to the door in time before anything bad had happened, but the man was still being creepy. Unfortunately, the woman didn't post a description of the man, but she definitely remembered the white van. Now, I don't know exactly what the circus means, but I am almost positive it's the same man that visited my house, and I am pretty sure that he is still out there preying on people, because just yesterday on the local news, they interviewed a nine-year-old girl who was approached by a man driving a white van. So please, if you live in the central Illinois area of the U.S., please look out for anyone or anything matching what I said in my story. This creep is most likely still out there because he keeps coming up on social media and the news. Stay safe, everyone. My boyfriend John and I went to hang out with his best friend, Mike, and his girlfriend. She knew about a party that was going on with some of her childhood friends who had just finished high school. We arrived to the middle of nowhere, a bunch of people hanging out in the front yards of a few homes, drinking beer and just hanging around. It was very strange to me and we felt out of place. People were whispering about us and pointing us out, I assume because it was a small town where everyone knew each other. Some other boys started mocking my boyfriend's shirt, a Lacoste polo. You a rich boy, huh? You think you're better than us or something? My boyfriend was not rich, got a lot of hand-me-downs from his boss after he gained a few pounds, but we just laughed it off. After a little bit of standing around, someone decided we were going to go to a friend's house who had a pool. We all followed, thinking someone's actual home might be less strange than just hanging out in a random front yard. When we arrive, there are some girls in the pool, fully clothed. They seem nice enough, just drunk. Some people are hanging outside in the driveway. I have a prosthetic leg, so I get tired if I stand up too long. I sit in the back of a truck. After a while, a dude approaches us and sits down next to me. I was pretty naive at the time and never retrieved much attention from the opposite sex. I grew up in a small town in a different state. We were in Georgia. I grew up in Texas. The dude started telling us how he was from New York and asking me questions about my life. It was then he put his hand on my knee and made a comment about my looks, saying I was cute or whatever. My boyfriend was there and I felt safe enough to not react, but my blood was boiling. 
I shrugged off his comments and laughed it off. I tried to act uninterested, but I was froze in an uncomfortable state of weirdness. I had no idea where John's friend Mike was, much less his girlfriend who actually might know these people. John is watching, waiting for me to say something, which I didn't. I don't know why. I didn't like the attention. The dude was not attractive, didn't seem like a fun or cool guy, just an obvious drunk creep. His hand started moving up my thigh. I said something like, Yeah, I'm not interested. That's my boyfriend right there. He said, Oh, well that's okay. He hasn't seen the mind. His hand was about to touch my crotch when my boyfriend grabbed him by the throat and said, Get your hands off of her. He started to get scared and was apologizing when someone ran out of the woods and tackled my boyfriend. It was the owner of the home. He had been passed out in his truck for the past four hours, but had come to in time to see a couple strangers choking out his friend. Three guys ran up to him and he managed to fight two of them off, but the host of the party had him in a headlock. He held him until he almost lost consciousness, then fell to the ground with the host on top of him, pressing down in his throat and cutting off his ability to breathe. I tried to hit him and beat him off, but he had a glazed look over his eyes and seemed determined to kill him. I laid in on him, digging my prosthetic knee into his back. John's friend was nowhere to be seen. The party host finally let off of him and we ran to our car. Mike and his girlfriend were close behind, obviously aware of what was happening the whole time. The next morning, the white of John's eyes were all red and full of blood. He almost died. I really believe that. We decided to go to the cops. This was in a place called Rockdale County, a backwards, nasty country town. I didn't realize how terrible it was until we were inside the sheriff's office. They claimed that they had gotten a report that I had taken my leg off and beaten people with it. Not physically possible. They said the only way we could press charges was if we all went to jail because it was all hearsay, and the cop knew the attacker, family, friends, and they would never assault someone unless they deserved it. We had to walk away. Recently I was shopping in a very popular department store when I had to use the bathroom. The woman's bathroom is all the way in the back of the store, right near an emergency exit and pretty secluded. I walk in the two-stall bathroom and one is taken, so without thinking anything of it, I just go into the other stall available. As soon as I lock the door, the person in the other stall, without flushing, and hasn't made any noise since I went into the bathroom, unlocks their door and walks over to the sink. I'm still not really thinking much of it. I'm kind of pee-shy, so I just sit there for a few seconds hoping they'll leave. Instead, they do nothing. Now, I'm kind of confused, piecing together that they're not washing their hands and they never flush the toilet. I slowly tilt my head down to look under the stall and notice that whoever this is is clearly wearing large men boots and ratty jeans. Now, I'm full-on scared. I'm naturally a worrier and I know we're in a secluded area. I try to calm myself down and count to 15 to give them a chance to prove me wrong and wash their hands or something. As I'm counting, I realize that even if this was a woman and she was fixing her hair or makeup, I would surely hear some sort of shuffling, but it was complete silence. I get to 15 and still no movement. Now I'm full on shaking 
as I realize how alone we are and that I'm cornered in a bathroom with what I'm picturing as a large man based on the legs that I'm seeing. I reach into my purse and fake a phone call, but I was so nervous that I didn't even try to make my phone ring by playing a ringtone first. I just put it to my ear and say, Hello? I was too nervous to even keep talking because I didn't know what the man would do. Luckily, he immediately left and I followed his feet under the stall to make sure he was gone. Even creepier, I watched him walk to the right. As I exited the bathroom as fast as I could, I noticed that to the right was an emergency exit door propped open. Who knows what this guy wanted to do or where he wanted to bring me. There could have been a car right out back waiting for us. I still can't imagine the face that I would have seen looking back at me if I just finished my business and left the stall. I told the store manager and they kind of feigned concern, but I could tell they either didn't care or didn't believe me. I even called their headquarters the next day to report it again. I'd like to share with you a series of horrific events from my childhood that we never had a real resolution to. There were some suspects, but no one was ever brought to justice. Also, there have been a lot of terrible things happen on my mom's property, and that's another story, but here's part of the beginning. This part of the story happened roughly around 1990 during my summer break from school, but I continued on for quite some time. I must have been about second or third grade age. I grew up with just my mom and my dad was never in the picture, so we lived alone until I was about 12 when she remarried. Our secluded country neighborhood was safe for the most part, and all of our immediate neighbors were elderly, save for one couple who had a few young adult sons around my brother's age. For the most part, though, didn't have much riffraff in the area. At first, there were only minor clues to indicate something was going on, such as things being moved in the backyard and I guess because my mother has always been a paranoid conspiracy theorist, she had an idea that something was happening. I didn't really know this until I heard her talking about it much later after the events. She tried to hide things so they wouldn't scare me. She even started sleeping in my room with me at night, probably because she was paranoid, but I assumed it was because we could stay up late and watch movies together and eat snacks. One morning after I got up, I noticed that our wooden back door had huge chunks missing out of it around the part where the lock and bolt goes into the door frame. It was as if someone was trying to chip away at the locked part. I showed my mom what I had discovered, not realizing why the door was damaged, and she went completely silent, pale-faced, and panicked. I could tell something was wrong, but I was too young to understand that someone had apparently tried to break in, either in the night or when we were out. That day, she mended the door to the best of her ability, and if I remember correctly, she even put a new and different lock on it from the hardware store. She also filed a police report, but there was nothing they could do. I had a German shepherd named Munchie. He was a big, spoiled baby who loved raiding the fridge with me, but to a stranger, he was probably very intimidating. He was my best friend and very watchful over me, and I still miss him to this day. For a week or two after mom and I would go to bed, Munchie would start pacing and whining and acting very anxious. Since we lived in such a rural place with no imminent danger, we thought, mom would frequently let him outside by himself. 
so one night, when he was acting exceptionally strange, she let him outside alone. We didn't have central air because our house was old, built in the 50s. We were poor and Kentucky summers weren't really too hot anyway. At night, Mom would open up all the windows in the house, with the halfway burglar latch of course. Since she was in my room with me watching a movie, we had both my bedroom windows all the way up. My back window overlooked a bit of a hill which gradually sloped into a low wide bottom. The bottom was full of tall weeds and bushes. Suddenly we heard movement in the brush of the bottom. Munchy. Then we heard him snarling like a werewolf. Mom got up and ran to the window but couldn't see anything. What we heard next was horrifying. It sounded as if the munchie was attacking someone. He was making those awful noises as though he was eating someone alive. I began to cry, terrified that something would happen to my best friend, and my mom started screaming in horror for Munchie to come home. We heard what sounded like someone escaped my dog's wrath and take off through the bush. Mom ran to the back door with me right behind her and called for Munchie at the top of her lungs until he came running back into the house. He was panting and grunting and bristled up. I hugged him so tight, I probably nearly squeezed the life out of him. As time progressed, things got worse. Being so young, I didn't know for how long, but my mom was safeguarding the house. She even moved a tall dresser in front of my window that overlooked the hill in the bottom. She tried her best, but whoever was harassing us was finding new ways to make our life terrible. Or maybe even worse. One night... She said she heard peculiar noises coming from the backyard. I don't necessarily remember this, so I called her for details before writing this. The sounds were coming from under the dining room windows, which overlooked the backyard. She turned on the security lights on the back of the house and saw a ladder propped up against the back of our house, as if someone was trying to climb through our windows. This incident seemed more like an empty threat than a real attempt, especially considering the back door was probably easier access. We don't know if the person thought the windows would be unlocked or what, but for whatever reason, they gave it a try. Again, she called our local police and they did nothing. I should probably note that we really didn't have much law enforcement there. You probably wouldn't believe me if I tried to tell you how worthless law enforcement was and still is in that area. On another occasion... And this memory is burned into my brain because it scared me so bad. Someone snuck up to my bedroom window one night. I hate to even think what their intentions might have been. Mom had drifted off to sleep, but I was quietly watching the rest of Willy Wonka. I was looking in the direction of my ominous window, the one overlooking the bottom, so I ended up getting a good look at this big white hand which reached up and slapped my window screen multiple times in rapid succession. I screamed. Mom woke up and the tormentor took off, no doubt through the brushy bottom. My mom is a dog person. She adores dogs and has always had lots of dogs and puppies around. We had seven little black pups and the mother dog around this time and they lived outside on our huge property, had plenty of space to play and a nice big dog house. At some point around the same time this stuff was happening, we had to be out of town for a few days. Mom had some people watching the house and I guess she didn't really think anything horrendous would happen. Then again, she wasn't aware of how far this thing would go. When we came home, Mom's puppies had been killed and lined up in a row in the side yard, close to my window that overlooked the bottom. This was devastating. The police did little to help, which included telling her 
how short to saw for shotguns so that it was still legal, and advising us to keep munching in the house. I forgot to ask, but I'm nearly positive Mom ended up sending the mommy dog away to my sister's house on the other side of town. Months later, incidents were increasing in occurrence, and then someone decided to take it way too far. Something hit the back of the house in the wee hours of the morning. Mom looked out the windows and saw nothing, at least not until the next morning. She found a stick with a charred pine knot on it. Someone had apparently lit it on fire and threw it at our house. I assumed they were hoping our house would burn, and I don't even ask the cops about it because they did nothing yet again. I wouldn't be surprised if they knew who the culprit was and didn't care. Then one day, Munchie went missing. He had gone out to the bathroom in the evening before bed, but he didn't come back immediately like always. He vanished. I don't even want to go into detail about this because it breaks my heart all over again, but we found him days later. He had been poisoned. To be completely honest, I could keep going with the story, although it takes a lot of unbelievable turns, and not all of them are horrifying, some are just ridiculous. Around 2009, a multiple year-long court case began where my mom had to fight a group of her neighbors in court to keep them from stealing her property. Those events led us to believe the people involved with that case may have had something to do with the torment we experienced all those years ago, but honestly, all we can do is assume. To the tormentor, I wish we could meet you, but you're a coward who harasses women and children and hurts animals. I recently made a summer road trip to a neighboring major city with my mom and my sister. The last day there, I had an unnerving experience. I had been downstairs eating the hotel breakfast with my mom while my sister was still in the room getting ready. When I finished eating, I started walking down the hallway towards the elevator to go back to the room. When I first started down the hallway, I saw in my peripheral vision a man standing in the doorway to the fitness center. I noticed him because he had been looking at his phone but when I walked by, he looked up at me. I'm about 6'2 in my heels, so honestly, I didn't think much of it. I get stared at a lot. I didn't make eye contact. I got to the elevator and pressed the button, and while I was waiting, the man walked up and stood next to me. I still didn't think it was weird. He had a small towel with him, so I figured he just got finished working out and was returning to his room. But after just a few seconds, he looked up at me and said, in a very quiet voice that was almost a whisper. I'm scared. I smiled and kind of chuckled and said, Why? Where I'm from, it's not uncommon for men, especially older men, to joke around with a straight face and try to pull your leg. I figured he had some funny story coming about why he's scared of elevators. He didn't. He continued to speak in an extremely quiet voice so that I could barely hear him but he spoke quickly and was articulating well, so not drunk, I would presume. What he was saying was odd. He said, They're attacking me. They're putting it all over social media in its attack on my character. They're trying to bring me down. It's making me look bad. I gotta defend myself because they're going after me, trying to bring me down. He didn't specify who they were from what I could hear. He had already spoken a bit when the elevator opened up, but I decided to get in anyway. I didn't fully comprehend what was happening. It was so odd. I just didn't feel scared yet, only confused. 
Plus, he was significantly smaller than me and I keep pepper spray on me at all times. I realize that's an unwise mindset, but it gave me a sense of security, even if a false one. The elevator only had to go up three floors, so it wasn't a long ride, but he carried on the same way the whole time, speaking quickly and urgently telling me about someone or something that is trying to take him down. It was during the ride that I realized this man could potentially be dangerous. I also noticed that he didn't seem concerned about what button I pressed, as if he didn't need to make sure I pushed the button for his floor. I thought about asking him which floor he needed just to test him, but decided not to interrupt his rant. As he proceeded to talk, and it became clear what was happening, I stopped looking at him. I turned to the elevator door and ignored him completely. When I opened up my floor, I walked out and then slowly took the turn from my room. I went slowly to see if he would go the other way. He didn't. He followed me down the long hallway to my room at the very end. Since I knew my sister was in the room, I still felt a bit of security, but I didn't want to give away which room we were in, even though we were about to check out. I figured if I opened the door, he might have shoved his way in or something. So, I walked past our room a little into the stairwell doorway. I didn't go in, just stood there and looked around as if though I was trying to decide where to go. He was immediately behind me and when I stopped walking, he started up his rant again, still in a very quiet voice. This was the point at which my heart started racing. I turned around and looked at him once, then turned the other way and looked out a window, at my phone, at the stairs, just ignoring him while he was talking. After just a minute or so of me ignoring him, he gave an exasperated sigh and stormed off. He was angry. He interrupted his walking to stomp a few times and shake his head. His speaking changed from the quiet almost whisper to angry grunts, although still quiet. I watched him walk away and when he was out of sight I went into our room and told my sister, get your stuff together, now, like your life depends on it, because it might. Maybe overly dramatic, but I was afraid he'd come back, maybe with worse intentions. I told her briefly what happened and she told me to call the front desk while she threw her things together. I called and gave a detailed description of the man. The receptionist was very concerned and said she'd look for him. We left our room and got downstairs without any more events. The receptionist again assured me that they would try to find him. I checked out and got out of there. I just have one question from the whole experience. Out of all the people in the hotel, why did he pick me to follow? I'm a 30-year-old male in a middle-upper-class suburban neighborhood on the east coast of the USA. I went to visit family that I don't get to see very often yesterday. I enjoyed their company and the day spent with them. When it was time to leave, I got in a car with two individuals and started the trip back home. A few minutes down the road, I got into an argument with the driver and got kicked out of the car. I am vaguely familiar with part of this area that I was in, but in the darkness... With only scattered streetlights illuminating the wide roads, I was disoriented. I began walking in the direction I thought I saw the car I got kicked out of headed towards and stopped at a well-lit intersection. I stood there, smartphone out, trying to call a lift to drive me home and put an end to the unfortunate situation I put myself in. It wouldn't be that easy, as both my Wi-Fi and mobile data refused to work and I could not get either a signal or internet in the location I was in. As I was standing on the edge of the intersection, I looked ahead 
about 200 feet and noticed two white males, one wearing a white wife-beater tank top and the other in a t-shirt becoming aware of my presence. They saw me and began their approach. About 50 feet ahead, they began saying things like, Did you see that car? Are you a cop? My self-talk was telling me that these guys were looking for a fight, but I tried to defuse the situation by informing them that, no, I am not a cop, and that I didn't know that car they were talking about. They continued approaching me until they were less than five feet away. After listening to them, I began to believe that they were on some type of drug, because they repeatedly asked me the same questions about the car and if I was a cop. They also told me that they could give me a ride and offered me prescription drugs. The way he offered to give me a ride was disturbing, like he was trying to lure me into a trap. Again, I tell them I was just trying to get home and I didn't want any trouble. After I said this, the situation escalated. When they began making sexual comments, asking me if I wanted a hug, and telling me one of them was an offender. I contemplated fighting them off that they got too close, but after I again repeated that I was just trying to get home, they turned around and left me alone. Thinking I was done with these guys, I again was unsuccessful at calling a lift, when they turned around and started yelling at me again and walked back towards me. By then, I had called a friend who told me to call the cops. The guy kept approaching, asking if I was talking to the cops, telling me I was far away from home and I started to think about screaming for help. I realized that's not a manly reaction, but I considered it. My bad leg was tired from all the walking and I was getting desperate. By this point, one of the guys screamed that I better not call the cops on them because he saw my face and he can recognize me now. After I created some distance between myself and the two, I called 911 and spoke to a dispatcher. By the time I started explaining what happened, a cop pulled up in front of me and I told him what was going on. I know that because of my actions, I put myself in the position where I was accosted by a couple of creeps, but I never would have thought that something like this would happen in that neighborhood. The police officer was very friendly and helped me get in touch with a ride home. I am still flustered and I'm hoping this leads to some kind of catharsis and helps me to process what just happened. I live in Germany and went out with a few friends to say goodbye because I am moving back home next week. For privacy reasons, I will only say that I am from an English-speaking country. Also, in case you are not aware, a U-Bahn is pretty much a subway, so an underground train. I was out and decided to go home at about 2.30am. I went home alone because I didn't want to go and meet up with a few people I wasn't really good friends with instead. I wish I had done that though. I was sitting in the U-Bahn, only to realize that I got the wrong U-Bahn, probably because I was in a rush and got into the first one I saw. I only noticed at the last stop, which wasn't a problem because I could just go in the opposite direction for about 5 minutes and then get on the other U-Bahn, which would take about 30 minutes. When I got to the last stop, I noticed a guy sleeping, so I woke him up and told him we had arrived. This guy looked a bit disoriented and sat in the train. I didn't question it because the train would turn right back around and I was sitting in the U-Bahn for the same reason. This is when the Russian man comes in. He reeked of alcohol and tried to help me wake the guy up, but only after he was awake. He then kept speaking to me in Russian. Now, I don't understand Russian, 
but I have a lot of Eastern European friends and I can differentiate different Eastern European languages just by hearing them. I can't explain how I know, I just have a talent for it, I guess. The Russian man wouldn't stop talking to me in Russian. By the tone of his voice, he was asking me questions. Creepy questions. Anyone who has come across a creep knows exactly what tone I'm talking about. He also started laughing every time he stopped talking. I was very uncomfortable, so I told him that I didn't speak Russian. He then laughed and asked me where I was going, what I did that night, etc. I kept my answers short, and after about three questions, I told him I didn't speak German very well. I do speak German, but I have an accent when I speak, so I just pretended I don't speak the language in awkward situations. The man then said okay, and I thought that was it. It is important to note that during this conversation, I was standing up and he was sitting down about eight feet away from me. When the Yuvan began to move, I decided to sit down because my feet were hurting from earlier that night. I sat away from the man because although he wasn't too much of a problem at that point, I didn't have a good feeling about him at all. Well, my intuition was right because as soon as I sat down, this creep rushed over and sat next to me. He wasn't just sitting next to me like a normal person, no. His body was pressed against mine and pushed me against the edge of the seat. I looked over at him and politely asked him to scoot over. He then started speaking Russian again and I told him I didn't understand what he was saying. He then proceeded to grab my hands and squeeze them and tell me they were cold. He said that in Russian and I only understood it because it was a very basic sentence and my Russian skills are incredibly limited. I told him to stop and he then looked at me and said sorry. He acted like a child who was forced by their mother to apologize. Keep in mind he was obviously in his 40s. I then said it's okay but to leave me alone. He then tried to sit closer and grab my hands again. I noticed he had a boner and was starting to guide my hands down. I snapped and pulled my hands away and slapped him and yelled stop. He then looked at me and didn't say anything while I moved to another seat. What bothers me the most about what happened is that it had only been less than five minutes from when he had sat next to me until I moved to a different spot. There were people sitting close by who saw exactly what happened and no one did anything. I was very shocked. Now, I am 18 but I look to be about 21 to 22 years old, but that doesn't make it okay for a guy to invade my personal space and act like a creep. I am also upset because people saw what happened and didn't even speak up. How were they okay with watching this happen? I have seen people be creeped on before and I always try to help by pretending to know the person who was uncomfortable. I don't know. It was just a terrible, terrible night. My parents divorced when I was young. At this period of time I was living with my mother and her husband. I was in middle school. My father lived in a big city, I'd say about 40 to 50 miles away. It was much more than an hour of driving one way for him to pick me up and drop me off, so that's four hours of driving or more in one weekend for less than 48 hours of visitation. Eventually, my dad's car broke down and I wanted to see him. When I was 11 or 12, I convinced my mom to let me bus there by myself. She would drive me to the bus station a couple of towns over about 15 to 20 minutes from the rural area where we lived and dropped me off. I would catch one of the few bus options into the city and once I got downtown, I'd link up with my father. It was an hour-long bus ride. 
I eventually got very street smart, navigating the CD bus station, then the city and its buses to get to my dad. I became really comfortable those hours I would be without either parent. I loved the city, I loved the people, interacting with people. I was also an idiot kid. While waiting for the bus to take me to my dad's city, sometimes I would talk to strangers that engaged me. I never went out of my way to speak to any strangers, but if someone spoke to me, I would respond because I thought I needed to be polite. One time a man walked up to me. He seemed to be of Southeast Asian descent, maybe Filipino, but he had a US accent more than anything else. He looked to be about 23 to 28 years old, actually impossible to tell. He started talking to me as we waited for the bus and he sounded quite nice at first, had a friendly voice. It was my nature to be polite and give all people the benefit of the doubt. This has bitten me in the butt many times in my life and I am much more discerning as an adult, but this is why I engaged him. I told him my first name, which is very distinctive. I have never met anyone with my name, it's a scientific word, anatomical term. He asked for my phone number and I gave him my cell phone number but with one single digit swapped out for a random number. He started asking me personal questions. I lied in many and all of my answers. Lots of pushy, dramatic compliments. You are such a beautiful girl. Like, wow. I love looking at you, or you are so pretty. I still can't believe a girl like you loves being my friend. Lol, this is the first time we met. He said these things with a childlike sort of innocence sometimes, but he was clearly smart. Other times there were comments that were clearly sexual. I felt I couldn't leave, walk away, because I had to catch my bus. It quickly became apparent to me that he was suffering from some degree of homelessness and had some sort of social dysfunction, like Asperger's. Didn't pick up on my discomfort, body language, clear lies, dismissal, annoyed and cautious tone ever. Talked happily and loudly all the time. He also insisted on showing me his artwork, or instrument or something. After I initially met him, I saw him very often catching that same hour-long bus, probably almost every other time I was waiting for that bus, so as often as twice a month for a while. I really avoided him, tried. I always tried to get a seat far away from him, let him board the bus first and others ahead of me, then pick a seat inaccessible to him. I only told him my first name one time and he remembered it perfectly every single time I saw him from then on. Somehow eventually he figured out my correct cell phone number and I was so creeped out. I had a prepaid phone that my dad bought me. It wasn't registered to anyone's name or on a plan. It refilled with a card so him getting this number right was really weird. The next I saw him in the city or the bus station I told him angrily that we could not interact anymore. He took it very badly. I said something along the lines of, Dude, I am only 12 years old. I cannot be your friend in any capacity. My dad would be mad at me. I did not see him in person again for many years. I never told my parents about my scary interactions with strangers because I feared that they would not allow me to be in public alone anymore, and I valued that experience and feeling of independence. And here's where it gets weird. A few weeks later, I am at my mom's house and I decide to have a sleepover with a friend who lived four blocks away. I was there from maybe 3pm to noon the next day, then I walked home. When I got home, my mother said, Oh, I got a weird call last night while you were gone. A man named Andrew? I was thinking, What? 
She described the way he spoke, and plus the name, I instantly knew who it was. I started freaking out a little bit. How could he have found my mom's home phone number? We have never had the same last name ever and she was married and didn't even sport her maiden name anymore. I told my mom who I thought it was and how it was literally impossible for him to have the house phone number. She was creeped out. The number was not listed in any phone books. Then she told me what he said. Apparently this guy told my mom he was a good friend of mine. Yeah, because a little girl has good friends with adult men. And the phone call was an extreme emergency. In his words, I had an accident. I had fallen down a flight or two of stairs and broken my neck and was at the hospital right now. He told my mom I needed to go to the hospital immediately. She was really taken aback and didn't really know what to say, and because of his tone and how nervous he sounded, the weird things he said, she didn't take it seriously. She had tried asking more questions and he fumbled over his words. She said the conversation ended very abruptly, awkwardly, just that the whole thing was very strange. To this day I still wonder, how on earth could this person have found my mother and her husband's landline number? Her only two last names are very different from mine. How did he get my actual cell phone number when he didn't know my last name? Even if he did, he wouldn't have been able to find my number based on my name. It was practically a burner. Why did he call my mom? Where did that story about me being in the ER critically wounded even come from? Did he make it up so my mom would leave the house? My husband wonders if he wanted her to come to the hospital. If so, why her and not me? How did he know I wasn't home when he called? Lucky guess. I could have been standing next to my mom when he called her, for all he knew and then his story would have even more obviously been a lie. Many years later downtown, I ended up moving to the city. I saw a guy who I thought was my homie. I went up to him and did the whole, hey man, what's up, long time no see thing, and as the last word left my lips, I realized it was Andrew. I realized it as he was recognizing me. It was too late for me to run away. He had grown out his hair, it was long and black, which is why I thought he was the skateboarder friend I had who looked incredibly similar, but was a couple years younger. He now thinks I am greeting him like I missed him, and I swear my stomach dropped. He hugged me before I even had a chance to step back, and it was so touchy-feely, violating. Then he proceeded with lots of, Wow, girl, you look so good. I can't believe it's you. I miss you so much. Can I have your number so we can spend some time together now? and I told him I was running late for something and literally ran away. I was paranoid I would see him around again, but thankfully, I never did. This all happened when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, so I was about 15, I'm 23 now for reference. I ended up being homeschooled in and off during high school due to medical issues and the surgeries I had to get. Usually, if they were available, the school would send my teachers to just tutor me. However, they weren't always available, so they would have to send me randos the district found. While I had a few interesting tutors, this is about one particular tutor, who I'll refer to as Mr. Bird from here on out. Mr. Bird started to tutor me in English and right away, I got a weird vibe from him. He was in his 50s, I think, and was tall and lanky. 
He also rode his bike to my house every time he came, which was weird because I didn't live that close to him. This comes up later. Anyway, I don't get to choose who tutors me, so I just went with it. A few things happened in the couple months he taught me. When I mentioned that I used to play lacrosse, he asked if that was the sport where the girls wear short skirts and made a comment about how good I must have looked in it. Frequently, he talked about women he had dated in detail many times. One time, he mentioned how he had went to a go-go bar with a friend and that one of the dancers was someone he had dated. They hooked up at the end, something he kept making barely thin innuendos about. Told me I was too pretty and mature to date boys my age and that I needed to wait for an older, real man to take care of me. And he bought me a tight t-shirt that I literally ended up throwing out because he creeped me out so much. However, his last tutoring session with me probably takes the cake. We were at my kitchen table. All of the tutoring sessions took place here. And he was talking about something or other when all of a sudden he stopped talking. His eyes closed and his head dropped down. I waited about two minutes thinking he was messing with me or something, but when he didn't respond, I panicked and ran upstairs to tell my mom. My mom thought I was exaggerating when I told her I'm pretty sure Mr. Bird died at the table and told me to just go back and wait. I'm in tears at this point and thinking I'm sitting across from a dead body when about five minutes later, he wakes back up and continues on with his sentence like nothing happened. I was so stunned I just didn't say anything. He ended up just not coming back after that and when my mom called him, some lady picked up and said he was in rehab. Turned out he had a drinking problem and a drug problem and had his license suspended for a DUI which is why he always rode his bike. My school really did its due diligence when it came to vetting these people, it appears. I got a new tutor who was more normal. I was worried for a while that, since he knew where I lived, that he would come back and kidnap me with a sidecar for his bike, but I'm still here. My mom saw him at the grocery store once, where he asked her for money for beer. Thankfully, she declined. So two weeks ago, with my dad, we went to explore a German bunker in Normandy. My father and I parked the car outside the site and walked toward it. There were huge holes because of the Allies bombing. We went inside. There was water in the bunker, but we had boots, so we didn't care. Inside, there were some graffiti, old and new. The rooms were empty, and it was getting darker and colder as we went further. Suddenly, we heard the water moving, as if someone was walking in. We shrugged it off. Maybe it was another person who was exploring it like us. There was this room, the last and largest one in the end of the bunker, where it was very cold and dark, even with the flashlights we couldn't see anything. So we went inside this room and the water was muddier and it smelled very bad. There was graffiti in German again. We looked around and then we heard bang, 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 as if someone was knocking on the bunker door or a metal door. I got scared and told my dad that we should go. Maybe we didn't have the right to go in there. Maybe it was someone's property. My dad told me, don't worry, it's just our imagination. So we exited the room and my flashlight decided to give up. I could have used the flashlight on my phone, but I didn't want to drop in the water, so I stayed close to my father, and that's when I saw a door which was open. It is frequent in abandoned bunkers that some rooms are closed because of some reasons, mainly because of danger. 
My dad asked me if I wanted to see the room and I told him no because it was weird that the door was opened and I was, still am, sure it was closed before. My father answers, maybe the wind. My dad went inside and I followed him. I didn't want to stay outside with no flashlight. We were inside the room and the door started to close, slowly with this weird grinding noise. We hurried to the exit room and I told my dad that we really should go because it was very scary and weird that the door was closing by itself. He admitted that it was weird and he saw that I was freaking out so we headed outside. It was when we saw someone walking around the corner. My dad, being the friendly man he is, greeted him. The person didn't say anything or didn't turn around to see who was talking to him or her. I don't know why he did that but my father started to follow the person. I went outside and sat on a rock waiting for him. My dad came back minutes after and he was pale. So I jokingly asked, did you see a ghost? And my dad answered that he followed the person and this person disappeared inside the room with the door that was closing by itself. And when my dad went inside, he saw no signs of the person and the door started to close like earlier. So maybe it was just our imagination. The door, maybe it was the wind or some other things. Or maybe... Something wanted to lure and lock us back there, inside that room. I'm looking for some kind of explanation for something that happened to me around 15 years ago. Only my mom knows about this experience as she was with me at the time. So I live in the UK and my best friend lived in Brighton, which is by the seaside and I live in the city so any chance to visit the beach was something I jumped at as a child. Brighton is known as the gay capital of the UK and every year at the gay pride parade there was always loads of events and fun stuff going on so we always went to stay with my friend around that time. Brighton at that time is always really busy and to be honest there's so much color and energy when you walk through the rammed small lanes throughout the town. Everything passes by kind of a blur and you can't really take it all in, especially when you're 11 or 12 years old. But basically my friend, my friend's mom, her three sisters and me and my mom were all walking down a particular lane and we had to walk single file as there was a main road to the right of us. There were people walking single file on the left side of us walking in the opposite direction and it was in the middle of the day. So I'm walking along, not really paying much attention trying to hold on to my mom's hand as I didn't want to get lost in the crowd and trying not to bump into people but not really looking at people's faces or anything, just soaking up the atmosphere when, for some reason, I feel this massive urge to look to my left at the people walking on the path in the opposite direction. Coming towards me is a man who looked to be about 50 or 60-ish and he looked Native American. He was wearing just jeans and a t-shirt so nothing out of the ordinary but it was kind of a bit strange in itself in the middle of a gay pride event in a UK seaside town, but hey, he could have been on holiday. As I looked at him, it was like a split second, I can't exactly explain it really, but it was like my eyes went in x-ray view and this man was a skeleton walking past me. Everything behind him turned black and I could literally just see his skeleton still walking. It only lasted like a split second, and then everything popped back and he walked past. I squeezed my mom's hand so hard and she looked a bit pale and I said, Mom, I just saw something weird. She says, yes, me too. 
I saw that man's skeleton. It was so weird. We kind of just looked at each other and my mom said we'd discuss it later because my friend's mom was really religious and I guess my mom was worried what they'd think of us for explaining this bizarre experience. My friend and her family didn't see anything. It was literally just me and my mom. I spoke to her about it later and she saw the same thing. A Native American looking man who one minute looked perfectly normal and the next he was a skeleton. I've never experienced anything else remotely paranormal. I believe in the paranormal sort of but I can't really say I fully believed and I still don't really. If it was just me that had seen it, I would have blamed it on my 11 year old imagination but my mom saw it too. Has anyone else had any kind of similar experience? Any idea what it could have been? I've never experienced anything since so I'm pretty sure I'm not remotely special and don't have any psychic ability and neither does my mom. My sister and I were sharing a bed in a room at my great grandmother's house that was probably built sometime in the 20s. The room was small and dimly lit from a medium sized window. It only contained a full bed with a dresser with a small amount of walking space. We stayed in that room several times throughout our childhood and never noticed anything weird other than the house just being inherently old and creepy. One night we were lying in bed about to fall asleep when I noticed that the room had two closets. I was immediately freaked out because I had previously thought that there was only one closet, but sure enough, I definitely saw two separate open pitch black closets one on the left side of the bed and one on the right. I rolled over to ask my sister how many closets were in the room. She responded with, one, before turning away from me and attempting to sleep again. I asked again, then why are there two? She sat up, agreed that she saw two closets, but simply said we just must be mistaken. That was good enough for me and we both fell asleep. When I opened my eyes in the morning to a blank white wall, no closet on my side of the bed, I shook my sister awake and told her there was in fact only one closet. We never slept in that room ever again. I'll mention it every once in a while because it's one of the few paranormal experiences I've had, but my sister never wants to dwell on it for too long. This happened to me in high school. In 8th grade we had a house built in a subdivision. This was in the new side of it. I played with a Ouija board with my best friend once in the living room when I was in the ninth grade and I don't remember much of what happened except I asked the initials of who I'll marry and it told me the exact initials all three of my now fiancé. I remember that because I know others with the same initials. I don't remember exactly what else I asked and I vaguely remember the weird events after but there is a major one that sticks out. I know it was a lot of just random, but not major odd occurrences at first. Mostly my two friends noticed. I guess it turned out or something since I kind of was in my own world most of the time. The laundry room made me feel nauseous and made everything feel hard and rough. I don't know how to explain it, but I would hallucinate a lot as a kid and I'd feel a certain way around it. But everything I touched, no matter how soft, felt like there was a really rough folded up denim around it. When my friends would come over, two girls, separately never together as they weren't friends, 
They both would always run through the dining room, which was in between the living room and the kitchen, and my room was right by the living room. They said that they felt something weird in the dining room. One of them was even afraid to look in the dining room window from the driveway. I never told either of them that the other had the same issue. So the weird stuff that I remember before the incident, I had a pile of laundry in my chair in my room that was on my bed when I came home. I was last to leave and first to get home. I know it was in the chair. One night, I went to turn off the TV and leaned down to grab the remote, but right before I touched the remote, the DVD player shot open inches from my head. The remote was on the end of the sideways couch, which is close to the TV shelf, and my head was right there, so I freaked and ran to my room and put a cross on my door and eyeliner. The incident that occurred, my best friend was staying over and my parents were out. I forgot I had wiped off the eyeliner because my mother noticed and freaked on me for drawing on the door. Either she didn't notice it was a cross or didn't care. I was going to hang a cross that my grandmother cross-stitched on the door but I got distracted and forgot about the previous incident. When we were ready to go to sleep, my best friend insisted on sleeping on the floor so I made her a pallet. The way my room was set up is that when you walk in, you are facing a foot of wall that the closet is on the other side so you have to walk in and immediately go right a little bit. I had the door open for my little dog to go in and out but he stayed back in my mom's room and I figured he'd come in whenever he felt like it. Then I have the nightstand in between the bed and closet area and a lamp on the nightstand. We decided to go to sleep way late, it could have been between 2 or 4 a.m. I then turned off the lamp. As soon as I did she screamed my name and I sat up and turned on the lamp and see her pallet with her on it being drug out of the door and then immediately dropped and she scrambled up on the bed. I immediately found the cross and stuck it on the door with a thumbtack and we didn't sleep the rest of the night. Her pallet was halfway out the door around the slight corner I mentioned. I've always been sensitive to spirits, like I know that they are there but I just ignore them. I don't know why this one didn't directly attack me when I was in the living room. I've always felt like I have protection so nothing usually bothers me. It just did this one major thing. I moved out soon after and so did my mom and it didn't follow. The land before was orange groves so I think it may be from the board but I've had no issues since that incident. A bit of a backstory before I start this. I live in northern British Columbia, Canada a couple of years back, my friend had invited me to come with him, his mom, and his sister to a resort by a lake an hour and a half or so out of town. This was at the end of June and the beginning of July. I put the resort in quotations because it's a main log building where you check in but it's also a restaurant too. A few log cabins and some spots down by the lake for RVs and stuff to park in. There's a highway that you turn off onto the lot where the check-in building is and to the right of the highway is forest for miles, as well as everywhere else around that area. The only thing that stands out is the highway which cuts through the woods. Around the lake there's some houses and whatnot, but generally speaking, if it isn't a long weekend, there isn't too many people out there. The cabins and RV area is separate, and the main building is about a 5-8 to eight minute walk away from the cabins up a spiral road. A little bit past the main building, there's a clearing where you can sit a couple of tables that 
look like they haven't been set in for ten years as there's vines and grass that have grown around and on them, and about fifty feet into the woods past those tables are two small lagoons surrounded by an old wire fence. I'll talk about why the lagoons and the table area is important later. That's the end of the backstory and explanation. On to the story. We got there in the evening, unloaded the car, got acquainted with the log cabin, which is really nice by the way, and then we went out to explore around. Not too much interesting stuff happened the first day as we didn't explore a whole lot before dark. Skip to the next day, and it's cloudy and rainy which we actually were hoping for as that meant that there were very few people at the resort and we get free rain over it. We explore down by the lake and around the cabin areas more thoroughly and eventually make our way up to the clearing where the tables are located. We look at the tables and see that they haven't been touched in what looks like a long time from the amount of grass and weeds that have built up around it. And while investigating, I took notice that around 50 or so feet back into the woods, there was what looked to be a clear area. We slid down into this ditch-like area which was probably around an 8 foot difference in elevation from the table area and tramped through the brush. We eventually came to the spot which we were pretty sure are lagoons due to the way they're constructed and noticed that there was a wire fence around it. We walked around the area planning to leave until we saw what looked like a spot where a large animal had walked over the fence and crushed a portion of it. Not really paying attention to the fact that a large animal may have been in the area, we dismissed those thoughts and said that it was probably bent like this for a long time. We told around the area, looking at the lagoons, and eventually we left, planning to come back the next day with big rocks to throw into the water as it was getting time to eat dinner. The next day, we came back to the tables, planning to go into the lagoon area once again. Before we had a chance to go down to the ditch, we stopped because of a noise. This is what triggered the rest of the events in this story. The noises we heard were those of walking over small twigs, snapping them in the lagoon ditch area we had traveled the previous day. Keep in mind, those footsteps weren't there before. We stuck around for about 10 minutes or so until we got hit with an intense feeling of dread. After this we said, forget this, and went back to our cabin where we played poker for the rest of the night. While playing, we discussed the events that had taken place and eventually laughed it off saying it was probably just a bear passing through or rabbits in the area. The next day, it was raining heavily and much darker than the past couple of days. We left our cabin and planned to go to the lagoon area later, but we wanted to chill around a medium forest area close to the cabins that I forgot to mention in the beginning of the story. As I previously said, after we had originally gone to the lagoon area, things started getting weird. We were messing around in the woods, breaking big sticks on trees when we heard what sounded to be someone else doing the same thing about 200 feet away in the direction we were facing. It was hard to judge how far exactly it was because of the way the forest carries sound, but it was pretty far in front of us. We wouldn't have cared too much about this until we took notice of where it actually was. The entire area around there and beyond is all forested, and having someone in those forests along with us that far in, and in less than favorable weather with very few people at the resort at that time, is unlikely. We decided to leave the area and to come back later during the evening. Spoiler alert, that wasn't a great idea. So after leaving that area, we went around to the lagoon area and listened for a couple of minutes. We couldn't hear anyone walking, 
so we assumed that we were right about it being a passing forest creature. Not even ten steps in, and I tell my friend to stop moving. We both stop and listen. We hear what sounds to be the steps again, but as they're coming in louder and faster, we get that same overbearing feeling of dread. We hightail it out of there, spooked out of our minds, and we book it back to our cabin. Later that evening, we return to the forest clearing where earlier we had heard the branch against a tree noise earlier in the day. We again started smacking branches against trees, this time not hearing anything, but as I turned to my left, something caught my eye. There was what appeared to be a person standing behind a tree, and I saw them duck behind it when they noticed that I noticed them. I nearly crapped myself as I yelled to my friend that we needed to get out of there, and we sprinted back to the cabin. Later that night, while we were sitting in the loft area where our beds are, we have a discussion about what happened that day. There's much less joking this time, and we're trying to make sense of it all. We started with the branch hitting the tree noise. At first we tried to dismiss it by saying that it was an echo, but remember that the echoes weren't prominent at the time, especially five seconds after hitting the tree. Only I saw the hooded figure in the same area later, but I knew it was a person, or at least I think it was a person. We weren't too sure about that, so we moved on to talking about the lagoon table area. Nothing really too interesting came up in that combo. We left the next day as our booking had ended. This isn't the end of the story, however. We came back last year around the same time, end of June, beginning of July, and we had brought another friend with us that time. We showed him around and briefed him about what happened the previous year, and he took it with a grain of salt as any sane person would do. This eventually changed over the next three days. The activity this time around wasn't as much in the side of the forest where I saw the hooded figure and where me and my friend heard the tree noises, although we did hear the returning knocks again, but in the lagoon table area. I'll skip to the juicy stuff. So after showing our other friend the lagoon area, we decided to enter it after not hearing any noises. All went well and we returned the next day. This time, the footsteps were there once again, but a bit closer than before. We left that area, but returned around an hour later. We were determined to see what was repelling us out of that area, but to get in, we had to be quiet. Slowly, we went down the ditch to the lagoons without anything hearing us, and we didn't see anything there. We heard something snap a little bit away, so without making too much noise, we get out of there. The next and final day, before we had to leave once again, we returned to the table lagoon area where we were planning on going to go to the lagoons again, but when we're at the table area, we heard something new. It was a sort of screeching noise, but it sounded like a person almost. At first, we thought it was a person who had injured themselves and was calling for help, but I made everyone stop and just listen before doing anything. We listened to it, and from what I heard, it sounded like a mixture between a person yelling an angry cat hissing and a shallow dog bark. My two friends decided that they wanted to get closer and investigate the sound while I was opposed to it. We went anyways, but I stayed much further away as my gut was telling me to get out of there. We threw rocks near the area from where the sound was in hopes to flush it out of its hiding spot. And when that didn't work, we got much too close. We were right at the edge of the ditch close to the tables and when I got as close as my friends did, something happened. The thing that was making the sound had thrown either a large log 
or it knocked down a tree judging by the sound, but I didn't exactly stick around to investigate. I turned tail and bolted as fast as my legs could carry me. I was probably 15 feet ahead of my friends as my danger reflexes were faster and it registered to me faster that I needed to get out of there. We were about 100 feet away when we came to a stop. Nothing came after us, but the sounds then resumed. We walked around the main building and when we came around there was a black bear standing there. We let out a sigh of relief as we thought we had been spooked by a bear but we then shifted back to our previous feeling of dread when the bear did the same to us and got out of there as fast as it could. We didn't investigate further and ran back to our cabin. Nothing further happened as we left the following day due to the reservation being over. I might be going back this year as it's approaching the same time as the previous years, and that's why I'm writing. I want to get out what I have so far, and if I go again this year, I'll update everyone about my experience. I don't know what the lagoon or table creature is, but I sure know it isn't any bear. The other thing in the forest I'm still not sure about. I think that they're separate things as the woodsman or tree knocker, as we've nicknamed it, is more elusive and seems to be luring us into that area, while this creature is very territorial and aggressive. I've tried to find things online about similar experiences in that area, but I've come up empty-handed, which is another reason why I'm posting this. Do any of you have any ideas as to what these things are or could be? I have no clue what's going on there, but I will share the location in case anyone wants to visit this place and investigate for themselves. This is the second time something paranormal has happened to me, other than when I was nine, so any explanation on what these things are would be great. Despite the strange things going on there, the location is very beautiful. The cabins are nice despite the spring beds and the food at the restaurant is also quite tasty. The place is called Purden Lake Resort. If you look it up on Google, it's one with the green roof. I may have almost been eaten by something, so any suggestions on what might be out there would be great. Thanks for reading. It happened in the village where my grandparents live. Ever since I was a kid, I spent every summer break there and had made a group of friends along the way. This is the part that sounds cliche. In this village, there's an abandoned home near a crossroad where we usually spent our evenings. The house became a playground for us and we destroyed most of it, knocked down doors, broken windows. One night we were playing hide and seek, a common activity for us, and as a hiding spot, I and two other boys choose a place we were familiar with, the house's courtyard. We waited there for the seeker to finish counting down. We started looking around to make our game plan, and that's when I saw it. From the frame of a knockdown door, an old woman was looking at us. Due to the lack of light, I was only capable to discern her profile. She was hunched over and seemed to be shivering. She held something in her hand, though, that I couldn't see what, but her most prominent feature was her bent-over nose like those you would see on a witch mask. Sheer fear overtook me. Not the fear of something that might happen to me, but a pure sense of terror. After a couple of seconds, I started running through the courtyard, then through the garden due to the lack of fence to separate the two. Then I finally climbed and jumped the back fence and threw myself down to catch my breath. I didn't even notice my two friends running behind me 
until they fell near me after jumping the fence as well. There wasn't much of a dialogue. I asked what they saw, and one of them, we called him Bobo, started gesticulating to emulate a long, bent-over nose. The other said an old woman standing in the doorframe. There was no time to cook up stories, and we were all visibly terrified. We caught in the night, and the three of us headed to our houses, leaving the others to continue playing. That night, I asked my grandparents whether or not there was a woman that fitted the description in our village, despite the fact that an old person couldn't get inside that house without anyone noticing. My grandmother claimed that there was no such person, but my grandfather seemed to be hit by nostalgia, as he said, Hey, do you remember that hag, that one that used to chase us when we were young? Ah, uh, yeah, Iperu woman. But, but why do you ask? I remained silent. Iperu was the name of the house's deceased owner. I am certain of what I saw, and any doubt I may have had was undone when I compared the sighting with those two friends of mine, even trying to add false details only for them to correct me. Eventually, we gathered enough courage to enter the house again, only this time during the day. I'm a 20-year-old female university student from Australia. This experience happened last year in winter of 2017. I had moved several hours away from my hometown for uni and I was looking to earn some money while I was studying. During high school, I had been a school tutor. I really enjoyed tutoring and I thought this would be good to continue so I went about finding students to tutor. It wasn't long before a mother contacted me asking about getting tutoring for her son. I'm not exactly sure of his age as she only told me his year level and I can't remember if I ever asked how old he was, but he would have been around 9 or 10. We agreed to do the tutoring at their house and we arranged a time to meet for that week. On the arranged day, I drove to their house for our first session. It was the usual first meeting. The mother was lovely and her son was very cooperative, if a little quiet. When you're a tutor, all you want is a student who will try hard and listen to your instructions and this student was perfectly well behaved. Their house was a small cottage-like house, but it was very neat. We worked at the kitchen table in the dining room, which formed an L-shape with the living room. The entranceway was in the corner formed by the two rooms. Off the dining room entrance corner was the student's room. The door was shut, but I could tell by the decorative name placard on the door that it was his. If his door was open, he would have been able to see straight into the living room. The first few weeks of tutoring went along fine. I was really happy to work with the student and his mother, but a few weeks in I started noticing that the student was not himself. He seemed really tired and wasn't as responsive to my instructions, not in a disobedient way, just like he couldn't concentrate properly. I brushed it off at first because it was winter and cold and towards the end of term two, which is typically a long term in Australian schooling. This is when students started to get sick and run down, so it wasn't that unusual for my students to seem a little tired at this time of year. We had a two-week break over the school holidays, and I hoped that after this, he would be well-rested and ready to start again. During our first session after the holidays, however, he seemed even more tired. I could barely get him to follow any instructions, and he was taking much longer to complete work than expected. I stopped the session momentarily and asked him if everything was okay. Was he feeling okay, or was he having any problems with the work at school? 
I didn't want to pry too much without his mother in the room, but I knew I wasn't getting anywhere just plowing ahead when he clearly wasn't keeping up. Up until this stage, this is the most boring story you've ever heard or been told. That was until the student replied, I can't sleep. Before I could say anything, he continued, In the dark, a lady in a white dress crawls out of the clock. I can see her from my room, and I'm scared to sleep because I know if I close my eyes, she will get me. He points to the grandfather clock in the living room, which is on the right angle to be seen from the student's bedroom. Now I'm thinking, okay, that's creepy. Crawls, not walks. Crawls out from the clock, I ask him calmly as I can. Have you been watching any scary movies or reading any scary stories lately? I'm thinking that this kid has seen or read something creepy and then had a nightmare about it or simply has an active imagination. He just shook his head. At the end of the session, I mentioned it to his mother as I was concerned by how distressed he seemed. Her response shocked me though. Yes, I've heard strange noises coming from the living room. We've only recently gotten that clock and it's very old. Someone inherited it and when they died, their children sold it and I bought it. That's as much as I know. I monitor everything he watches and he does not watch or look up anything remotely scary like that. I don't know where the spheres come from or what to do about it, but it honestly scares me a little too. At this point, I don't know what to think. I put it to the back of my mind until the next time I see them. Nothing more is said about the woman, and the student seems to have finally gotten a little more sleep. So far as I'm concerned, all is good. About five weeks later, I'm at their house again. The weather is absolutely disgusting. Gale force winds and lots of heavy rain with lightning. It's a little early in the year for a storm here, but this is a pretty bad one. About 40 minutes into the session, the power goes out. The only light source is the flashes of lightning that can be seen through the living room. The mother comes out to check on us, but at this point there isn't much to do. We wait a couple of minutes, but the power doesn't come back. The mother suggests that we call it a night and that she'll just pay me the full amount, seeing as we were almost finished anyways. As I'm packing up to leave, there is a giant flash of lightning, and I hear the mother gasp. I look up, and I swear I saw the hem of a white lace dress drag across the floor in front of the grandfather clock and into the shadows. I wasted no time getting out to my car. This isn't the only scary thing I've experienced, but it's probably the first paranormal thing I've ever witnessed. It really chilled me to the bone. I have never really believed in ghosts before this, but now I'm not so sure. It all started when my wife and I first visited her mother's new house. Her mother had remarried and lived in a decent sized house out in Palm Desert. We would visit them when I had time off from work. I had taken a shower in the guest bathroom and when I got out, amongst the fog over the mirror, there were two children's handprints. At first I thought it was a print from her three year old sister, we'll call her Emily, and when I was done, we brought her in to see if she had done it. The prints were at least twice as big as hers, looking like they belonged to a little kid that was maybe around 8 years old. My father-in-law after this incident tells us that a little boy haunts the house is a joke. 
He says when his own sons were young, he saw a kid run into the kitchen while watching TV. Thinking it was his son, he got up and walked towards where the boy ran. When he opened his son's room, they were both asleep. Any kid can pretend to be asleep, which he didn't think much of. The next few times we come, Emily started to talk about her imaginary friend, and we ask who it is, and she says the word ghost, which is something we've never talked about around her. We ask where this ghost is, and she goes where her room is, and points to the middle of the floor and proceeds to lay down like she's dead. We laugh nervously, now thinking there's an actual ghost here that's harmless, but it got worse. Around February, I had to go away to work for three weeks. My wife stayed over at her mom's during my absence with her two-month-old son, we'll call him David. She tells me one night at around 4am she's feeding David and she's starting to drift off to sleep. All of a sudden, the door to the bedroom starts to creak open and she sees the arm of a little kid follow it. The door closes and she hears footsteps run and slam another door. This can't be her Emily because she's asleep with her mom. It's now June and we came to pick up her sister for two weeks and that night as we were asleep my wife had a very realistic dream. In her dream we had gotten into a fight and when I left she was now in a hot tub of water holding something down, like a child drowning. She says she prayed to Michael the Archangel for protection but before it ended she heard a very dark voice whisper in her ear, you're doing great. Two weeks later, we come back to drop off Emily and she had a dream that night of a little kid whispering in her ear and laughing. Her mom then tells us a month before she was sleeping and heard the same thing except the child says, Billy is coming. Then she hears heavy footsteps coming down the hall and feels her leg go numb followed by a heavy hit in her chest that blacks her out. I'm not sure what this is or what's in the house. I'm honestly scared for them and my child when going over there. If anyone knows how I can ward off whatever is in that house, it would be greatly appreciated. I work at a nickel arcade. All my coworkers and I were just going about our normal routine for closing up, which includes cleaning, taking out trash, etc. We have a safe that we keep against the wall right next to the till full of pre-made bags of nickels for customers. We have to make sure it's filled every night before we leave, so my manager asked me to grab some buckets of nickels out of the photo booth. The arcade is pretty small, so we don't have anywhere else to store our trashed ring pop buckets full of used nickel bags except for inside our terrible photo booth. Each of us also have a designated set of keys that have a colored tag on it. I have black keys that night. So I go over to the photo booth, open it up with the black keys and start pulling buckets of nickels out. I keep the keys in the lock where we're pulling buckets out. We make $5 bags and $2 bags. I'm wimpy so I can't lift the $5 buckets so I call over my coworker to come and help me. His job that night was to take out all the trash. It's a rule that the doors have to be locked the whole time the manager is counting out so he just left all the trash bags behind the door of the photo booth. All of the trash bags were tied off in a knot. We finish filling the safe just as my manager finishes counting out, so he takes the half-empty bucket of nickels from under the counter, puts it in the photo booth, and closes the door. It's about 1.30am. We're all tired and waiting for our manager to give us the okay to clock out. 
He's checking to make sure everything's been done. Then he gets to the cabinet that we keep our keys in. He says that the black keys are missing. I tell him that I had the black keys and begin to look by the photo booth since I know that was the last time I used them. They're nowhere to be found. None of us get to leave until the keys are found so we're all looking everywhere. Inside the safe, everyone's pockets, inside the photo booth, underneath everything, and still nothing. My manager decides to look at the security camera that points at the photo booth to see what could have happened to them. He finds the exact moment I open the door with the black keys and watches me and my co-worker move nickel buckets to the safe. He then watches himself put the remaining nickels into the photo booth, close the door, and pull out green keys from the lock. Green keys are the set the manager carries. There isn't footage of me ever taking the black keys out of the lock, nor is there footage of the black keys falling out of the lock or anything like that. The only thing he can think of is that they must have fallen into the trash bags my coworker had placed right next to the door, which, as I mentioned, all of them were tied off. So, we have ticket stations that you feed tickets into and they get shredded up, then split into trash bags that get very heavy and very big. I'm only 5'2 and I weigh 95 pounds. I have never taken out these trashes because I literally cannot lift them. They're bigger than me. My coworker that had the job of taking out trash took out the ticket station trash as well. However, it was earlier in the evening before we closed for the night. None of the trash bags he put next to the photo booth door were from the ticket station. Now, my manager just decides to hop in the dumpster and search for the keys because the owner gets really angry when the keys are lost. He worked a double and we all want to leave so I just tell him I'll take the blame for losing the keys and that he needs to go home and sleep. However, he doesn't listen to me and just keeps ripping open all the trash bags. My coworker that took out trash told him not to rip open the ones with tickets in them because he took them out way before the black keys were lost. Again, he doesn't listen and just starts digging through heaps of tickets and shreds and sure enough, there they were, at the very bottom of the bag. Which means they had to have either been shoved down to the bottom or dropped in the bag at the end of the previous night when the bags were replaced thoughts. I think it's worth mentioning that the arcade was previously an auto shop and I have heard strange voices on multiple occasions. However, I always thought it was just my ears messing with me since the arcade is really loud. I've heard of objects in areas that are haunted being teleported through the process of, what do they call that, a poltergeist. However, I'm not really too sure and after this experience, I'm very confused. I live in New Zealand and I regularly trap possums in a patch of forest next to a rather old cemetery. The area surrounding my trap line is full of poverty, drug abuse, and violence. I'm very experienced in the bush and can tell the difference between animals judging from their tracks and calls. So my dog has been terrified of the area for the past three weeks. Usually he follows me everywhere but he's been refusing to cross into the forestry block next to the cemetery. Every time I've managed to get him into the trees, he gets spooked and runs home. He's never had a problem here before, but lately, he refuses to go near the place. Now, for the actual event, I was checking my traps by myself without my dog around 9.30pm last night. It was incredibly quiet, which is strange because usually you would hear possums moving around and animal calls. I got through my trap line without any incident, 
To exit the forestry block, you have to cross over a fence bordering the cemetery. As I approached the fence, I heard a quick, deep grunt noise. I passed it off as a tree moving or an animal or something and didn't take any notice. While climbing over the fence, I heard another slightly longer, more guttural growl. It was low in pitch and sounded somewhere in between a dog and a human growl, but much deeper and hoarser sounding. Understandably, this scared the crap out of me, and I jumped the fence and began scanning the trees with my spotlight to try to catch some eye shine or something. I heard the growl one last time, but right next to the fence, and at that point, I just got out of there. I'm posting this here because I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm experienced in identifying animals and I know the area well and I've never experienced anything like this. The only animals in the area apart from birds are possums and possibly wild pigs. I'm familiar with the noises that both of these animals make and neither of them could produce a noise like it. I'm going to return to the area tonight with my gun and search for tracks and animal signs to try to make sense of this. I'm interested in hearing what you make of this as well. To give you guys some background info, I started a job as this lady's personal assistant for half the day and then her kid's nanny the other half. She bought this house near Seattle that was built in the 1960s and has only had one previous owner. The guy died but apparently not in the house. I started my job in April and after a week or two, while I was watching her six-year-old, the doorbell rang. Now from where we were sitting I have full view of the front and no one was there. The kid goes, oh that happens sometimes. The doorbell rings but no one is there. I brush it off as a wiring issue since she had the house remodeled. So life continues and the doorbell rings here and there a few times a week but then one day as I'm making the kid a snack. He tells me, the front door just cracked open. So I check, and it was a bit cracked, and I brushed it off as not having closed the door all the way when we got to the house, until I went to go shut it all the way, when a minute later, the door freaking cracks open again. I freaked out at this point and went to shut it again and made sure I slammed it shut. A few minutes later, we heard it crack open again, so I just locked it. An hour later, the doorbell rang and I was ready to get out of that house. Last week, I was upstairs putting away laundry and as I'm coming down the stairs, I freak since the door was cracked and literally as I shut the door and locked it, the doorbell rings. I've never freaked out so much. Then yesterday, oh yesterday, the kid and I are sitting there when the doorbell rings, but this time it was a different doorbell tone that is not similar whatsoever to their current tone. The kid goes, uh, that's not our door ring, and I say, I know. I go outside and start messing with the doorbell to see if there's any way possible the doorbell could make that sound that it did, and there's no way possible. I swear the owner who lived there before's doorbell rang, and it was some glitchy matrix stuff. After that, I said, if there is someone here, you are not welcome here. Please leave us and the family who lives here alone. This morning I was leaving with the kid and as I was getting ready to shut the door, I stopped because I heard faint walking round upstairs and then something from the shelf fell in the kitchen and I never left so fast. So what is going on? If someone is here, why do they keep ringing the doorbell? And how did they make it ring to a different tone? Freaky.
Let me start by explaining that about a month or so ago, my cat that I had for 11 years passed away. I had two cats at the time and my other cat was left alone. She had never been in a single cat household. I didn't intend to get another cat, but my father and fiancé felt I needed another one to help me heal. My dad took it upon himself to find me a kitten, so I have two cats again. My cats always wear collars with tags on them. My cat who had passed had been wearing his when he died and had been buried with it. It's sort of a symbolic thing for me. My two remaining cats have collars with tags also, but last night I had bathed them and taken the collars off till they dried. Last night, while I was in bed, maybe at about 2am, I heard the familiar clang of one of my cat's tags clanging against one of the glass food dishes. My first thought was that someone was finishing their dinner, but I quickly realized that both my cats were in bed with me, one on each side sleeping right against my legs, and neither had their collars on. I had heard stories before about people hearing, feeling, or seeing a pet after it passes, but I had never experienced that before. I didn't get out of bed to look. There was nothing. No one in the house that could have been making that sound. Besides, it's a very distinct sound when you hear it. I kind of just stayed in bed and cried until it stopped. I really miss my boy. And not long after the above story occurred while lying in bed, playing with my phone, I felt a cat jump up on my bed. The door was closed and there were no cats in the room at the time. As an immediate reaction, I put out my hand to pet the cat, but there was nothing there. Moments later, I felt it jump off the bed. This was something my late cat, Jesse, did often. Every night at least once, he would jump up onto the bed, sit there a moment, looking at me before jumping down and leaving. My fiancé and I always joked that he was doing his rounds and making sure I was still there. This time, I didn't get upset and cry. I just said... Good night. So the first encounter isn't one I really remember. My mom tells me this every now and then. Apparently when I was around one, I started waving at the side of my bed for like three days. My mom asked what I was waving at, and I said grandpa, great-grandfather. No, I had never met my great-grandfather. He died in a war before I was even born. It's 9.19 and my mom's asleep. I'll ask in the morning and edit this, so... A few days later, I had apparently seen a picture of him and pointed at the picture of him and said, Grandpa, but remember he died before I was born. The second encounter that I remember was when I was 12. We were moved into an apartment and I picked the room without a closet. Closets make me feel really uncomfortable and I don't know why. So when I moved into my room, there was already a bookshelf in the room. It was pressed up against the wall in the corner. The bookshelf looked like it was falling apart, so we moved it out of my room. Behind the bookshelf was a small little door, and I wish I had a picture, but like I said, this was when I was 12, 17 now. When I grabbed a flashlight and crawled into the small room, I felt really, really bad. I honestly felt like I shouldn't be there, and it felt like my insides were twisting. My cousins didn't seem to feel it and they hung out in there, but I avoided it and begged my mom to move. It just felt so wrong, but she nailed the door shut and painted over it. We lived there for two more years and eventually moved. The third experience was when we moved into the apartment we are in now. I instantly didn't like it. The room that was supposed to be my room was horrible. 
The floor was soaked and the rug looked like it was burnt, so we changed the rugs but I still felt uncomfortable and sick being in that room. The small walk-in closet didn't help. My aunt who runs a crystal shop saged my room and my closet and put clear crystals in each corner of my room. What made it worse was that my room was right next to the basement door and I hated the basement. I still do. She saged the basement doorway and put two black smooth rocks on each side of the door. I don't know what they're for. I stayed in my room for a month but then switched to a different one. This one is fine except my closet. I have the closet door tied shut. I really hate closets. Now a few paranormal things have happened to me since living in this apartment. One, I've been touched multiple times. Two, I felt someone or something laying up against me in my bed. I thought it was my dog at first, but then I remembered my mom didn't let my dog in my room, so that freaked me out. Three, I've heard someone snoring in my ear next to me in my bed. Now my dog wasn't allowed to sleep in my room at the time, so it wasn't him. I laid awake for a whole hour listening to someone snoring and finally it stopped. That really freaked me out for a while. And four, whenever I'm taking a shower, it will sound like the bathroom door opens and closes, but when I check, no one is there. The shower curtain will move and I will see shadows outside the curtains. That's all I can remember for now, but like I mentioned at the beginning, this is what I need help with. So I mentioned a little higher up that I hate my basement and I seriously do. Every time I go down there I feel like I'm being watched and I feel like there's things I can't see around me. I feel like I'm trapped and it's always feeling like something is right behind me down there. Then when coming upstairs I always run and it feels like something is chasing me and one of the rocks that was at the top of the stairs somehow flew down the stairs and broke. Everyone in the house promised me that they didn't do it and the angle it was sitting at wouldn't just fall. Also, it's a rock. It had to be going really fast to break. But this is what I need help with. I have five dogs and none of them seem bothered by the basement. They don't even give it a second look and two of them have gone down there repeatedly. No reaction. They're supposed to see ghosts or at least sense them, I thought. If they're fine with our basement and sense nothing wrong, then what in God's name is wrong with me? Why does the basement scare me so much? Why do I feel so wrong being down there? Please, someone help me with this, because I don't understand. My name is Ari. I am Albanian, but I was born and still living in Greece. Six years ago, after my parents got divorced, me, my mom, and my brother moved to a new house, since my father was, and still is, stupid enough and didn't let us stay in our old one. So we found a really good place, really cheap to rent and quite quiet, but it is really close to our city's graveyard. It was and still is creepy to wake up every morning and see the graves, especially at night. This explains the reason why the rent was so cheap. By the time we moved here, I was 12. I am now 18 and I can say that I kind of got used to the idea of living close to the graveyard. It's like 100 meters away from my front door and yes, there have been lots of weird things that have happened around this place, especially to our place. One of the craziest of them happened a few weeks ago. I was smoking on my balcony watching the sky and the graves, talking on my mobile phone with my somewhat boyfriend. We were talking about an hour. Then he asked me what time it was. 
I opened my lock screen and while doing that I checked my neighbor's house which is opposite my balcony and next to the graveyard, like imagine walking outside the graveyard to get home. So I noticed that my neighbors had left the lights on and they neither had closed the windows nor the shutters. I told my boyfriend at the time that it was 3.33. He told me, you know what time it is, don't you? Of course I knew, and I was pooping my pants because while I was staring at the inside of the house, I noticed the two kids of the family wearing white clothes and something white on their face. I had no idea why they were wearing white masks, really. I've been to their place once. I've been there for the older son's birthday. I don't usually go to children's birthday parties, but I had to babysit the younger a few times while he was a baby in my place, so I got invited. I knew the inside of their house, and I knew the family. We were standing looking at the wall in between the window and balcony door of their house, right on the one side of their living room. In a few words, they were standing looking at the wall, just staring. Then they started moving their heads left and right. They moved their heads so slowly, it gave me chills. I was trying to understand what they were trying to do. My boyfriend was talking to me, and I wasn't paying attention. I froze watching the kids. Then my boyfriend shouted to get my attention, and by that time I had 2% battery left on my phone. I told him what was happening. He thought I was joking, so I took a picture and sent it to him. He freaked out. I freaked out. He told me to not look at that direction, but I was so horrified I wasn't able to stop looking. I was like, what are you talking about? Looking or not, that won't stop them. What are they doing anyway? Then the older kid looked at me. He stopped moving his head and he was staring at me. He and I were looking at each other for about 10 minutes. I realized that my phone died of battery and I stood up, took my stuff and went inside my house. I couldn't get a wink of sleep that night. And the craziest news, the next day, the family which was living in that house went away. I'm not sure where they went, but they were gone for about three days or so, and I've never really seen them do that. Every time I pass by those neighbors, I change my route, and I'm honestly thinking about leaving my house too. I want to take my family and run as far away as I possibly can. I am questioning myself, what were those two kids doing that late at night? They're supposed to be almost in elementary school age why are they awake late at night with white paint on their face and swaying their head back and forth and why did they disappear the next day does this happen regularly and why did I have to be the one to witness this hey friends thanks for listening be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations if you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, r Let's Read Official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear it featured here on the channel. And grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt.com. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and I'll see you again soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.